Hello, room 16. I'm going to go ahead and continue where I left off, and we are in parts eight of Out of My Mind. Miss Gordon does other cool things too, like when she decided the class would read the story of Anne Frank. She had kids take turns squeezing into a small space she had built under a table so they could understand how Anne might have felt. I couldn't do that. But I got the idea, and she assigned other great books this semester. I'm reading, well, listening to Shiloh by Phyllis Reynolds Naylor and The Giver by Lois Lowry. And there's one called Tuck Everlasting. The kid never gets to grow up. Staying a child forever is not as cool as folks, folks might think. Because of Mrs. V, I could actually read the books. But the print is usually very small, and it's hard for me, for my eyes to stay on the right page. And nobody has figured out the best way for me to hold on to a book without falling on the floor a million times. So I usually choose the audiobook instead of the written version. I even take tests now. Catherine reads me the questions, and I point to the answers on the sheet she places on my tray. I pass every single test. And she doesn't help me one single bit. I would probably get 100% on each one. But some of the questions require long answers. I just can't explain with words on my board. One time in spelling, Miss Gordon read the words aloud. And I pointed to the letters on my board. Catherine wrote down what I pointed to so I could follow along with the test. Claire and Molly, who are always watching me, it feels like, began to complain. It's not. Claire cried, waving her hand to get Miss Gordon's attention. Catherine cheats for her, Molly added. What is it with those two? It's like they're jealous of me or something, and that's just plain crazy. At the same time, I realized that they actually thought I had it easier. That sure was a first. Last Monday morning, Miss Gordon told the class, as some of you may know, because I do this every year, our long-range fifth grade project this year is a biography unit. We will read the biographies of famous people, do a report on a famous person of your choosing, and each of you will also write your own autobiography. Well, it's got to be short. What can you do in 11 years? Connor, the big kid, shouted. Everybody laughed. In your case, Connor, Miss Gordon replied, I'm sure you think of way too much. Mm, can I do my report <clears throat> on the guy who invented hamburgers? Connor asked to more asked to more laughter. I doubt if we know who made the first burger, but you can do your report on the person who founded McDonald's. He got rich off hamburgers and fries. Awesome, my favorite kind of dude, Connor said. Rose raised her hand. I love the fact that she's in all of my inclusion classes. Miss Gordon, when is all this due? Rose is a type of student who takes all kinds of notes in a bright red spiral planner and never misses a homework assignment. Relax, Rose. We got until the end of May, and I'll walk you through each segment one step at a time. Tomorrow we'll talk about how to write your memories. Rose seems satisfied but I noticed she scribbled almost a whole page in her notebook. I gave, I'll give anything to do that, 
but working on stuff the teachers in the regular class assigned me is just plain awesome. History class is even better than language arts class, even though the teacher, a man named Mr. Dimming, has none of Mrs. Gordon's spark, balding and pudgy. He's been teaching at the school for over 20 years, and kids say he's never been absent, not even once. Clearly, he loves what he does. His car is always in the parking lot when our bus rolls in and always there when we leave for the day. He dresses like a TV preacher in three-piece suits with vest most days. I've never seen him with a crisp white shirt and a colorful tie. I wonder if his wife picks them out. Some of them are really sharp. Mr. D loves history. He can quote facts and dates and wars and generals like somebody on a game show. I bet he can win Jeopardy. The other students didn't seem to like Mr. Dimmean much. They call him Dimwit Dimmean behind his back. I think that's sort of mean because Mr. D is really smart, smart enough to run the quiz team. When Mr. Dimmean got to American presidents in class, I rocked. He gave the students a list of presidents and all their vice presidents and told us there would be a test in a week. Catherine read the names to me several times. I've never heard of some of these men, she admitted to me as we went over the list the first time. Hannibal Hamlin was Abraham's first vice president? Who knew? I memorized them all. When Mr. Dimming gave the test, all I had to do was point to the right answers. He checked to make sure that Catherine wasn't helping me. I even finished before some of the others. While Mr. D was returning to test papers, he gave the class a few minutes of free time to sharpen pencils or stretch or talk. I was surprised to see Rose walking toward my desk. How did you do on the test, Melody? She asked. I only got a 75. She only she looked disappointed. I got in an 85, but I was so excited that she'd come over that I got all mixed up. So I pointed to five and then eight on my board. She touched my arms her eyes full of sympathy. Don't worry, she said. You'll do better next time. And she did this right in front of Molly and Claire and the rest of the class. There was no way I was going to tell her what I really got on the test. I tried to think of something to say so she'll stay longer. Pretty and shirt was all I can come up with and using my lame board. I sure could use a, a word choice that said cool outfit but somehow Mrs. V had overlooked that one. But Rose beamed. You look nice today, too. I really didn't. I had on a faded blue sweatshirt and matching sweatpants. Mom hardly got me anything else these days. But I hate sweatsuits. If I can choose, I'll wear blue jeans with sparkling decals, a blouse with decorated buttons, and a vest. But I had no way to tell Rose that, so I just pointed to thank you. Incredibly, she touched my arm one more time when she went back to her seat and her friends. To her seat and her friends. Then the bell rang. Class was over, and I had to go to back to H5. No more inclusion. No more rows. And four more hours of school left. Even Catherine left. She had afternoon classes at the university and hurried to get there on time. Mrs. Shannon was out sick that day, so I sat silently with Ashley and Maria and Carl and Willie while we watched The Lion King again. 
I've seen it a million times. I can't quote it. Then the substitute teacher gave us a math lesson. Addition again. When am I, when am I ever going to get long division? I wonder what Rose was doing. It was a very long afternoon. Chapter 13. Penny, no! Mrs. V calls out, dragging Doodle behind her. Penny has scooted out of Mrs. V's front door and is halfway down the ramp from her porch, shouting, Bye-bye! from under her green baseball cap. Butterscotch, at home, in our backyard, would be having a doggy fit if she could see Penny trying to bolt. It's one of those early November days that an artist would love. Red bronze leaves, bright gold sunlight, leftover summer. I don't blame Penny for trying to bolt. Mrs. V scoops her up and brings her back in the house. Going work, Penny pouts. Not today, honey buns, Mrs. V says firmly as she locks the front door. Penny loves wearing hats and playing dress up. Mom rarely rarely buys fancy church lady hats for herself, but for Penny, she'll sometimes pick out crazy looking straw hats with bows and ribbons and bring it home. At home, Penny spends a crazy amount of time in front of the hall mirror with a couple of mom's plastic necklaces hanging down almost to her shoes, a purse on each arm and a hat tilted sideways on her head. Gotta go work, she'll say with one hand on her hip. Who has she ever seen dressed like that going to work? Mom asks as we all crack up. She's only two. I'm not going to be able to afford the kid when she's old enough to go shopping on her own. Dad always says. He snaps every cute pose she makes with his cell phone camera. When Mrs. V sets Penny back down, Penny pokes her, pokes her lips out, throws Doodle on the floor, and wraps both arms around her chest. I laugh. I wish I had enough coordination to have attitude. Here, Penny, why don't you sit down and draw me a picture instead, Mrs. V says, whipping out a box of crayons. Attitude forgotten. Penny grabs a handful and promptly begins to scribble all over the coloring book as well as Mrs. V's table. I wish I can use crayons. I'll draw a rose with a velvety red bloom and a green stem and yellow-green leaves coming from it. I can see it so clearly in my mind. But of course, when I put a pencil or crayon in my stupid little tight fingers, all I can imagine are squiggly lines. Nothing that looks even close to a rose. I want to draw it. I want to draw it for Rose. She has rose designs on her notebooks and book bag. I don't know where her mother finds such cool stuff. Rose's names really fits her. She's pretty and delicate and nice to be around. If she has thorns like real roses do, I've never noticed. While Penny is busy with her crayons, Mrs. V checks her mail. She opens several envelopes, then gasps with surprise. Guess what, girls, she exclaims. I've won a contest. I look at her with interest. Penny continues to scribble, ignoring both of us. I entered an essay contest at the bookstore in the mall, she explains to me. The topic was why fish are important in our world ecology. I point to food on my board and smirk. No, silly. 
She reaches over and tickles me. I wrote something about oceans and the balance of nature. I don't honestly remember what I said, but I won first prize, a trip for six to the new downtown aquarium. All all expenses paid. Stupendous! I've seen the commercials on television for the aquarium. It's supposed to have sharks and turtles and penguins and a million other sea animals. Go? I asked by pointing on my board. Well, besides me, I don't know who else to take, she says, scratching her head and grinning. I kick my foot strap loose. Me, me, me. I want to scream. Instead, I point. Hmm, who could I take? Mrs. V teases, looking around the kitchen. I can tell she's trying hard not to laugh. Me, me, I jab. Well, of course I'll take you, Mellow Yellow, Mrs. V says, smiling. Just think of all the new words we'll gather. I'm going to write down the names of every single fish for you to learn. I slap my head, pretending to be upset. So if I take you and Penny, your mom and dad, and me, that's five. I wonder who else we can take. She scrunches up her face, thinking. I know immediately. Rose can go with us. I spell out her name. R-O-S-E. And again, R-O-S-E. Then I hit, please. Hmm, your friend Rose from school? I buck and kick with excitement. I think that's a great idea, Melody. I'll ask your parents and her parents. And if she's willing, we'll have a wonderful day. I can't stop kicking my feet. It takes several weeks before mom and dad are off on a Saturday. But Thanksgiving weekend ends up working out for everybody. I have trouble sleeping the night before. Rose's parents seem really nice from what I can tell from listening to mom's end of the conversation. I couldn't believe Rose wanted to come. She wanted to come with me, the kid in the chair. At school, Rose whispered with me about the trip, just like I've seen other girls do when they have secrets. I felt like a real girl. Now that the Saturday is finally here, we all pile into our SUV early in the morning. Even though the weather has turned pretty chilly, I made sure mom put a really nice outfit on me. Cute jeans and no sweats. Rose hasn't said anything about what I'm wearing, but she keeps cooing over Penny. Your sister is adorable, Melody, Rose says. I smile and nod. Penny reaches out her chubby her, reaches out her chubby little hands and claps. Lucy, she says. I think she said my name, Rose exclaims. Your sister's not only cute, she's a genius. As we drive, Rose chatters with my parents and Mrs. V like she's known them all her life. I watch it all silently, thinking this has to be the best day of my life. When we get to the aquarium, Dad unloads my chair and eases me into into it while Mom gets Penny's stroller out and straps her in. Mom pushes Penny as Mom, Rose pushes Penny as Mom pushes me so we can be side by side. The place is crowded. I guess it's a holiday weekend. Nobody pays attention to me, which is perfect. I can almost forget who I am. Inside, fish tanks go from floor to ceiling. I think of Oli. He might have been happy here. In one take, sharks swim overhead, just like we're actually looking up from the ocean floor. Okay, so Oli might not have been so happy in that tank. I've never seen so many fishes from all over the world, it seems. Fish with spikes and spots, 
fish with markings so beautiful they look painted. Penny slaps at the glass whenever a fish comes close. Fishies! More fishies! Mrs. V, as promised, writes down names of species and takes pictures so I can remember when we get back home. Mom and Dad whisper together like teenagers. I've never seen them so relaxed. We stopped in front of a tank. I love the jellyfish. We remind, which remind me of streams of shiny cloth and the lionfish, fish, which really do like, look like swimming lions. At the seahorse tank, Rose observes that their tiny heads point backwards. She seems to be having a great time. Then from around the corner come the two people I least want to run into, Molly and Claire. They are with the Girl Scout troop. They're faking bumping into each other, not paying much attention to their group leader, leader, who is telling them about the percentage of salt found in ocean water. Molly and Claire dress exactly like alike in jeans, long sleeve t-shirts, and scout vests. Look at Rose at surprise. Hey, Rose, you here with your mom? Claire asks. Uh, no, Rose says invasively, walking away from us and towards them. Your dad, Molly says, looking at me like I smell bad, and she's acting like my parents are invisible. I'm here with Melody and her family, Rose mumbles. On purpose, Claire shrieks. Both she and Molly start laughing loudly. <laughs> it's not so bad, Rose says quietly, but I heard her. Mom starts to say something to the girls, but Dad takes her arm. Takes her arm. They're children, he tells her. Let them work it out themselves. Mom has those daggers in her eyes. The sharp point she shoots at people who says dumb things about me. But she stays quiet. Her fists are bald. Mrs. V, however, isn't going to let anybody stop her. From her almost six-foot height, she towers over Molly and Claire. You, girl with the braces on her teeth. Claire looks up at her, stunned. Yes, ma'am, Claire has sense enough to say. Why do you think your parents spent good money getting new braces? Huh? Claire looks confused. Molly has quietly disappeared into her scrap troop. Your teeth were imperfect, so your parents got you braces. One day you'll thank them when you get a date for the prom, Mrs. V roars. The whole squat scout troop, plus a few other visitors to the aquarium, stop to listen to her. What do my teeth have to do with anything? Claire asks, looking around nervously. Some people get braces on their teeth. Some get braces on their legs. For others, braces won't work, so they need wheelchairs and walkers and such. You're a lucky girl that you only had messed up teeth. Remember that. Yes, ma'am, Claire says again. Then she scurries off to join her friends. Rose walks back to us, then a little embarrassed, I think. Claire can be clueless, she whispers to me. You think? After a few more takes, Penny gets tired and starts to whine. So we leave the aquarium before we even get to see the penguins. We take Rose home and she thinks us properly, and she says she had a really good time. But did she? All right, that's the end of chapter 13.